You're listening to the Shut Up and Teach podcast. I'm your host, Elijah Carbajal. Let's get started. This podcast is a proud member of the Teach Better Podcast Network. Better today, better tomorrow, and the podcast to get you there. Explore more podcasts at www.teachbetterpodcastnetwork.com. Now let's get on to the episode. Hey everyone, it's Elijah here. Before we get to the episode, I just wanted to ask you a question. Have you heard? My book has been released. I would be so honored if you would read my book, A Place They Love. Here's how you can purchase the book to read it. It's available on the EduMatch website. It's available on Amazon in three formats, paperback, hardback, and Kindle. And available at Barnes and Noble in paperback and ebook. I hope that you'll check it out. I hope that you'll leave an awesome review. I hope that you'll share it with a friend. Now, let's get to the episode. Hello, listeners. Welcome back to another episode of the Shut Up and Teach podcast. It's your host, Elijah Carbajal, a Title I reading interventionist out of Albuquerque, New Mexico. And today, I'm uh, very honored to be with a guest today. Today, I have Julian. I'm going to say this. Is it Du Bois or Du Bois? It is Du Bois. Yes. Du Bois. Okay. Julian Du Bois. Uh, we have Julian Du Bois with us today. Julian, how are you today? I'm so happy to see you. Oh, I'm awesome. Thanks so much for having me. It's, you know, it's a day off from work and school and everything. So, you know, those are always my days just to recharge and mm-hmm. refresh. And ooh, I took my dog for a two and a half mile walk. I've got my uh, green smoothie here that I'm still trying to choke down and uh, yeah, just enjoying a Saturday. That's awesome. So besides those things, what else, what else do you like to do to like recharge? I'm always curious to know what people do to recharge. Oh boy. I, I usually will just sit out in my backyard and soak in some sun. Vitamin D is so important to me. So if the sun is shining, um, my face is aimed right towards it for about at least 10 minutes a day. I try and make sure that I've got a little bit of sun on me and, um, to read. Um, I love to read fiction novels. I love to listen to music. I love to just sometimes just sit, um, and play solitaire. You know, it's yeah. like I'm a very uh, introverted person, so I'm pretty happy by myself. Oh, nice, nice. We, uh, my wife and I, were just talking about that—that that getting that vitamin D. And I was opening up the windows and was like, "Yeah, we need some sunlight in here." And hopefully, it's pretty cold out today, so I don't know if we'll be outside much, but at least we have some sun coming in to join us That's with it. Perfect, perfect. Yeah. Breathe it all in. We will. We will. <laughs> you too. Um, so thank you again for joining us. Could you uh, share with our listeners who you are, uh, what you do in education, anything you feel comfortable sharing about yourself? Yeah, sure. Um, I actually am a redesigned educator. I've been out of the classroom after 21 years in the elementary environment. I taught second, third, and fourth grade. And it just, it was just kind of time to change the career path. So when I say redesigned, I actually now am really teaching educators and helping educators really understand professional development and ed tech tools and strategies and skills to help them in the classroom. 
really to engage their students more. We're in a constantly evolving, ever-changing trajectory of, you know, technology. And it just seems like there's always something new to learn. But, you know, my goal is to try and really help teachers not feel overwhelmed. Let's take things in bite-sized pieces. Let's kind of walk through it. Let me coach you through it and we'll figure it out together. Uh, So I do that as my full-time job working with a company in uh, Cincinnati, Ohio. I work remotely here in Florida and I am on the side an uh, children's book author and illustrator and publisher. So currently have several uh, side hustle passion projects going on that keep me busy in addition to everything else I do. (laughs) So that's about it. That's awesome. And we'll be sure to highlight those books that you that you mentioned um, later on in the show. I definitely want to want to talk to you about about that. Um, so, but I, I I'd like to start actually if we could talk about kind of your I don't like your hashtag your slogan that imparted joy, and because that's all over your social media. I see it in your books and things like that. Could you talk to us about that? Where did the inspiration for that come? What does that mean to you as an individual? Yeah, so funny. I I still have that journal. Um, I'm a huge journaler. So I still have that journal. When I was, I can't even remember, when we first started, you know, like out at home, when everybody was home at during COVID, that March of 2020, and it was just one of those, what am I going to do? You know, I can, yes, I'm going to teach online, but. I am not one that likes to sit still, even though I'm a classic Enneagram nine, I still like, you know, to find things to do and keep myself busy. So I started joining in Twitter chats and conversations and like, kind of just like finding, it was almost like I was just guided and directed towards a group of educators specifically. Um, and I don't know if it was crazy PLN or if it was culture ed, you know, it was one of those things that I just gravitated towards and I started realizing what is, you know, what's a hashtag? Why does everybody put a hashtag by stuff they do? And what's a Twitter chat? And I was a big lurker for a while, but I remember as I was joining, I thought, okay, well, what can I contribute? You know, what is my niche? What can I hashtag? What can I put out there in the world that would kind of describe me in, you know, less than 15 characters. And I took a journal and I just started writing and I'm all about joy. And, you know, joy is not positive Pollyanna joy. It's, you know, definitely completely the opposite from that. Um, But I, I really focus a lot on the joy. And so I thought, okay, well, how do I want to share joy? That's a weird hashtag. I'm like, mm, imparted joy. I'm like, and then impart with the ed that kind of fit in the education side of that, of that. And so I started using that, just like throwing it out there because to impart is to instill and infuse and really engage people in what you're excited about. So that's how that started. And from there, I thought, hmm, you know, I, that's just kind of became my thing. And then I thought I'm going to start my own little publishing company. What would I call it? And I'm like, huh, why not start Imparted Joy? Impartedjoy.com. So everything became about that. And it just kind of, it just kind of settled that way and it never stopped. So it still continues. That's awesome. And we're definitely seeing 
teachers are in, in our PLN, we're definitely seeing the impact of that imparted joy. You've got some really cool like swag stuff. I know you you graciously gave uh, my wife Tracy the the card deck with the imparted joy mm-hmm. on there. And that to me was just so creative. And you know, I, I I'm excited to get into this conversation even more to talk to you about this, about like creativity, um, especially as an author. So um you have some books out right now. Um you wanna give us the give us the names of all of them? Oh boy, I do. Let's see. <laughs> Put you on the spot. Um, yeah, I know. So uh, yeah, let's say Live Seashells, uh, nice. Road to Awesome, uh, A Journey for Kids, uh, co-written with uh, Darren Pepper, Live's Messages, which is kind of a follow-up to Live Seashells. And let's see, Look at You, Piper Lou, which is uh, a story about my adopted dog. Love that story, and- by the way. <laughs> Destiny's Amazingly Different Dreams, co-written by um, Molly Schaefer and I. And let's see, I know there's something else out there. I, I think that's all that I've done. I've done five, and then I have um, illustrated a few and published a few just uh, different authors. So, and then, yeah, then the <clears throat> card deck. Card deck kind of came about from, I wanted to put together all the things. Like I said, I'm a journaler. So I had all these journals all over my house and I always just jot things down. I'm a very pencil to paper kind of person. So I was just jotting things down and I finally decided to just kind of combine it all together and collectively sat down and put all those things that I had written, all those entries into a Google doc. And I thought, okay, well, how can I tie all these together? It's not going to make sense to write a book. Um, but I thought, huh, card deck. So each one of those messages on the finding joy card deck comes from a place in my journal. So, and they're not necessarily easy places <laughs> that they came from, but definitely places where I could cultivate and grow and thrive from the things that I had been through. So that was kind of just putting it out there into the world. So everybody's reading my journal basically in the card deck. <laughs> and that's, that's really awesome. And and just being vulnerable enough to share like, Hey, this is a part of my, this is a part of my life and a part of who I am. That's really interesting. Um, you're very, I can tell you're a very creative individual. All right. You, I mean, you've created the card deck, the books, you do the illustrations yourself. Um, but creativity can be kind of a hard thing for folks to tap into. And even for those who, you know, we would look at them like, oh, they're creative, still have those blocks that they that they run into. So what's kind of your process? Like, where do you start when you sit down? You got an idea, like, obviously we get the idea first, but what's your next move? What's kind of your process for, for creation in these things? Yeah, and I always told my students that, you know, everyone is a creator. And it doesn't matter if you're creating music or poetry or writing or art or any kind of medium, it's, you have that inside of you. Yes. And one of the ways, so I kind of follow the same thing that I taught my students. And that was, you know, first of all, you just have to look inside yourself and think, you know, what do I have to offer? What talent, what gift have I been given? And I remember so many times they'd be like, ah, I can't do anything. You know, all I do is sports. And I'm like, great. Well, you have sports. That's, that's a creativity. That's, that's content. 
So what would you like to do with that? You know, so, you know, even little things like that. And I always say, let's just do, and there were times in my classroom and I would just stop and it didn't even have to be a writing lesson. It could have just been, Hey, let's take a five minute brain break and let's do a heart dump. So a heart dump, they knew when they, they heard the words heart dump, it's like, okay, we'll get out our, our notebooks, get out our journals. Cause my students always had journals and I'm like, you just open it up. Everybody go off to your own spot in your quiet place, wherever that is. And I would turn the lights down and I would play some, you know, soft instrumental music. And we would just spend some time in silence and what is on your heart? Just dump it. Just, it doesn't have to be a sentence. It doesn't have to be a paragraph. It doesn't have to be a story. It could be a word. It could be a doodle. It could be a sketch. It could be anything you want it to be. So I do the same thing. Um, and I, and I always tell them, you don't have to share it with anybody. This is yours. I'm not going to look at it. I'm not going to create it. This is for you. You're going to take it home at the end of the year. You're going to take it home and go, look what I did this year. Um, and nobody else needs to see it. So I do the same thing. I still use my journals. I find a quiet spot. I, it's usually my back porch here. And I just, you know, I'll close my eyes and maybe I'll listen to some music, maybe not. Um, but it's just one of those, I just have to just still my soul and tune out all of the noise and tune out everything that I know I have to do. And I've got, oh, what, what do I need to do? What am I going to make for dinner? What am I, I've got to do this. I've got to run here. I've got to run there. Um, and it's all about just really making that time, creating that time for yourself. And even in that stillness and in that silence, it doesn't always come. So like you say, it's still, there's a block. Mm -hmm. And every time I would ask my students, you know, all right, Hey, just, I just want to know how many of you were stuck and, you know, half of them would raise their hand and I'm like, what do you think I'm going to say about that? And they all would go, that's okay. That it's all right. That next time will be, you know, a different opportunity to shine. I'm like, absolutely right. And I'm like, this is the same with me, buddy. I'm like, you know, I was like, I, same with me. I get stuck. I don't get frustrated. I just sit there. If it's not coming, I'll put it down and come back to it another time. So there was no pressure, no stress. And I try not to do that to myself too. You know, Jillian, if you're, if you're trying to create, don't put that stress on yourself and a complete honesty, you know, writing my own books and illustrating my own books is so easy because I know what's in my heart and I know how I want to transpose those words into images so that people will understand what I'm trying to say. But my Lanta, it is a hundred times more difficult to do that for somebody else. So for the three other authors that I've worked for and doing illustrations, it's like, instead of taking normally two or three months, it's really taken seven or eight, sometimes nine months because I sit there and I go, I, I, it's not coming. These aren't my words. And I'll just kind of sit and process. How can I make these words come to life? And, you know, I think that's just what a content creator does. Um, mm -hmm. You just wait for it to come and you don't push it. Mm -hmm. and I've seen that with you too, with, you don't always put your poetry out there. You know, your poetry comes out when it comes out and when you need it to come out and when it's yeah. coming from your soul. So that's just kind of the process. Nice. 
How much of how much is self-reflection a part of that process? Um I 99.9. <laughs> it seems like it it would seem like it's a high, like a it go on the like high priority yeah. list of of things I need to do. Um not need yeah. to, but choose to do, you know, that I find works for me. You're a very reflective person and it shows like, because you, you've talked about journaling and, you know, writing and, you know, just, just sitting there with it, with your thoughts and just, it's not coming and that's okay. You know, having that moment of like, it's okay. Um, I really, I really appreciate. Um, what, what has inspired you for some of these stories? And you can pick any one of your books that you that you'd like to discuss. But is there one in particular that you'd like to highlight and just share, you know, the inspiration behind it, maybe the process of what it was like to write that particular book? Anything you feel comfortable sharing about that with our listeners? Yeah. And and they all come from a very personal place. Um, I think my favorite will always be the first one. Um, that I did. And that was a big heart dump. (laughs) So, um, you know, and collaborating with other authors is amazing too, because I want to help them share their stories. And sometimes an author doesn't feel, or a person may not feel like they're an author or worthy of being an author. And I'm, you know, always like, uh, yeah, we all are (laughs) worthy. And we have a story that is valued Mm -hmm. to be shared. Um, but I, going back to the first one was live seashells and it was, it stemmed from, that was, you know, again, COVID when we were sitting kind of with not a whole lot to do and I had to do something and I just started dumping things into a, a Google doc. And I thought, this is going to be a big project. This is going to be bigger than I thought. And I, at that time I had no idea it was even going to be a book. I just thought I have a story to tell and it was about my sister my sister, um, her name was Lisa, um, but Lisa's seashells was too much of a tongue twister. So I changed it to live um, because my sister, uh, Lisa, her spirit lives through live. So uh, that was kind of the parallel there, but it was all about her. And I lost um, her to cancer about 10 years ago. And she was four years younger than me when she passed away, she left behind um, a husband and two small children who were seven and nine. And my niece, Kaylee was seven. My Josh, Josh was nine. And I just thought, you know, boy, this is really hard. You know, they're kids. They're never going to know the true character that their mom and the legacy that she leaves behind. So what can I do to kind of help kind of facilitate that connection for them? And I remember just writing a story um, out of the blue about Liv going to the seashore and picking up seashells. And um, Elijah, she didn't go to the seashore to pick up the beautiful, the sparkly ones, the ones that were glittering in the sand. And, you know, like we always expect to do, we live very close to the, to the beach. And it's always one of those, ah, let's go, you know, let's go to the beach. Oh, it's a beautiful day. Let's pick up these amazing seashells. But she didn't. She always picked up, you know, Liv picked up the broken ones. Liv picked up the ones that were dull and chipped and cracked and lacked that luster. And it really paralleled her life in the fact that she was probably the most compassionate, loving, caring 
empathetic person I ever knew. Um, we are very close and just grew up with an amazing sisterly relationship. And I was always so amazed at the way she could find people that needed hope. She would find people that were broken. She would find people that needed a friend and that needed to be cared for and maybe that were taken advantage of or mistreated. And she would be their friend and she would do whatever it took to help them bring them into her house, um, uh, just spend time with them and just shelter them as much as she could and help them to feel worthy and valued. So that was kind of where that came from. And, you know, in writing that story, it was, it was for my niece and my nephew, because I wanted them to know, you know, your mom, she was pretty darn special. And this is what she did. And I, even now my, my niece is 18 now, and she is exactly like her mom. She has the exact same personality, mm -hmm. that same sparkle in her eye, that same, she wants to be a special ed teacher. And she, I mean, she's just a phenomenal human being. And we talk, uh, oh my gosh, almost every day. And I'm always like, Kaylee, you are just like your mom. Like I, I'm just so drawn to you. And I'm just so glad we have that bonding relationship that we have as family because, you know, there is, she would, she's just so, I'm sure she would be so proud of you and everything that you're doing because you would, you've turned out exactly as she would have desired as a mother. Um, so that's, that's the one that's the most special. Um, it probably is the one I look at and go, oh, there's so many flaws and so many things that I wish I would have changed um, about it. And sometimes I don't even like looking through it, but at the same time, I'm like, nope, that's what makes it what it is because it is flawed <laughs> and it is still a beautiful story and a beautiful picture of who she was and it, and she wouldn't have changed a thing about it. Mm. I'm very sorry for your loss, but I, I appreciate your vulnerability and your honesty and um, the way you dug into that and kind of leaned into it instead of pulling away from that, yeah. from that pain, you know, um, and imparting joy as, yeah. as you, as you're all about. So <laughs> I, lo I love it. Um, before we jumped on this meeting, we were talking about kind of our backgrounds and you had mentioned you'd had a, had a background with, um, with like reading intervention kind of like resource. And so I wonder if you could speak because this is something that's been on my mind recently is the importance of read alouds in the classroom. So I wonder if you could speak to that for a minute. Yeah. So when I first actually entered the career of education, I had no idea that was where I was going to be headed, but my um, son was in kindergarten and he was a struggling learner. And he had ADHD at the time he had dyslexia. We did not know that. And he also was on the autism spectrum um, mildly, but, you know, again, we didn't know all of those things back then. That was 25 years ago. And when he went to school, I'm like, all right, well, how can I come alongside and support him? Because it's going to be a long road. It's going to be a challenge. And I left what I was doing. I was working for as an optimal up for an ophthalmologist and I was a um, certified technician and I left that job and I thought, all right, I'm just going to start volunteering in the school system. I'm just going to be a present. I'm going to be present. I'm going to be in his school. I'm going to show my face. 
I want his teachers to know me because I'm going to partner with them to do what I can for him. And I started volunteering. I worked in the cafeteria. Then I worked in the office and then they needed somebody to work um, with students with varying exceptionalities and needed support with reading. And I'm like, Hey, that's my son. I'm like, sure. I'll help out and do that. So I was a reading resource um, teacher and did a lot of intervention work and all those different tiers and RTI and all of those cool acronyms that we all know so well and worked very closely with another teacher who really took me under her wing and showed me everything I needed to learn. And at that time, I did not have a professional teaching certificate. I was just a volunteer. And then I started working part-time, which moved into full-time doing that. Um, but Florida needed teachers so badly back then. And I'm sure like they do now, they had a transition to teaching program where you take a few credit college credit hours. And if you had a four-year degree in anything, which I did, um, you could trans transition into that being a professional teaching certificate. So um, that's what I did. So I worked um, on top of getting him through, you know, school every day, I would come home and I would work at night on some classes and got that teaching certificate. And I started teaching third grade and did not know what the heck I was doing. <laughs> I remember, Hey, I know how to, you know, work with kids in small groups, but you are putting 23 kids in front of me. I don't know what to do with them, you know, here. Okay. Open your book up, read this, do this. Okay, great. Sit. Oh, sit down now. Sit down. Don't stop. No, nobody should be talking right now. Right? I was that kind of teacher, <laughs> that authoritative teacher. And because that's all I knew when I was growing up. So um, I remember I went, you know, through third grade, I looped up with some kids in fourth grade and I taught, gosh, for about 10 years, 15 years like that. And um, by the time my son, maybe that was a little less than that. By the time my son got into middle school, he was really struggling and it was pretty evident that I no longer could keep up with, you know, helping him just emotionally and mentally getting through, getting over the hurdles of all the homework and all of the keep catching up and um, just helping him to read. And so um, I homeschooled him. We brought him home and I remember we sat him down. It was, he was in the eighth grade and we sat him down, my husband and I, and we went, all right, buddy. So here's the story. We just think that this is just too much. So how about if mom quits her job, stays home and we just work from home? And he started crying. And we're like, oh, great. He's going to lose all his friends. He's already upset. I'm like, are you okay? He's like, yes. He goes, I am so relieved. He goes, I am so excited about this. And I'm like, oh, really? <laughs> So Elijah, the next five years were the best years of our lives as a family. You know, so many parents, I think, would say, oh, no, I can't homeschool my kid. Or, you know, we went through COVID. That was enough for me. I never could do it. They wouldn't listen to me. Um, my son could not have been further from that truth. He wanted, he was a sponge. He would soak up everything that I put in front of him and just knowing, you know, as being an, being an educator, I think is one thing in the classroom, but when you come home and you're dealing one-on-one -on -one with a child that you, you know, are passionate, really, you know, you're bonded with, you know, in family. Um, I mean, we just had so much fun. We laughed, we took breaks. He, you know, it was just so refreshing for him. We, 
he found a passion for horses. So he would, we would, I would drive out to a nearby barn and he would go and he would, you know, help at the barn and he would clean out the stables. And then the lady there taught him how to ride. And so he just became so like, we, we fully focused on the things he was passionate about. So long story short, he graduated um, just, and we just became different. We were a different family, different people. And I, when he graduated, which was very untraditional because we did, you know, I mean, we, I could create his transcript, right? So we did a lot of equine science classes and (laughs) zoology, a a lot of science, a lot of chemistry. He was very focused on math and science. So um, it was just a really neat opportunity to be able to do that for him and with him as a family. But I went back into the classroom after he graduated and I was a completely transformed teacher. And I was like, I cannot believe I spent so much time, um, you know, not understanding what a student needs and what their learning styles are. And I fully, fully just embraced every single learner and I got to know them. And I built those relationships with my kids when I went back into the classroom and their families. And I wanted to know them and I wanted to communicate that communication was always open. And I gave them my cell phone number, you know, it was like one of those I don't care. I want you to tell me about your kid and I want to know this student so that I can best serve them the best, you know, in the best possible way I can. Um, Focus very heavily on reading, very heavily on understanding and research-based, you know, facts that reading aloud to students is single-handedly the best thing that you can do for them, whether they're in second grade or whether they're an eighth grader in a homeschool, you know, (laughs) setting at home. Um, I mean, my son and I, we read out loud all the time. And that was how he not only, you know, would see it, he would hear it. And we read the, I remember we read the Hobbit. We read all the Lord of the Rings books. We read all the Percy Jackson books and, and we made it exciting. We made it fun because reading, reading is an adventure. Um, So I knew when I went back into the classroom, that that was going to be a huge focus for me. And we even would buddy up with other classrooms and we would read, you know, my second graders would read to the kindergartners. And that was like two or three times a week. We would just, that was just, it's just a beautiful thing. And the more that we read aloud and the more that I allowed them to read aloud to each other, the better they became, the better readers they became. And not even just with fluency, but with comprehension and with just, I don't know, just, you could see their faces and you could see just the pride in their eyes. Um, you know, and another big thing was being able to let them, you know, get them out of their seats, you know, let them move around. If they have to stand, let them stand. If they need to rock, let them rock. If they want to sit underneath my desk, sit underneath my desk, grab a pillow, lay on the floor. I don't care. My classroom was just an open like living room. Like you, you go wherever you feel comfortable. And we had contracts. We had flexible seating contracts. They'd sign at the, at the beginning of every year. Um, but that's, you know, just giving students that freedom, you know, and I know some teachers are like, but you give them too much freedom and they don't behave. And I, I disagree. I think the more freedom that you give them and the more accountability that they have and the responsibility they have with that freedom, you know, they'll rise, they'll rise. 
they rise up, they meet your expectations, give them a lot of grace, of course. And you do have to, you know, have to follow up with some discipline, but I would say that's just that, that was just the beauty. That was the beauty for me, those last six, seven years of teaching. Great. Thank you. That's an awesome Sorry, story. That was a lot. <laughs> no, I connect with it big time because I was homeschooled. I was homeschooled K through 12, actually. So oh. yeah, first time setting foot in a public school classroom was my first day of student teaching. So I connect with you big on that. And so I commend you uh, for, for taking that on. Um, I know, you know, speaking with my mom and, you know, going through that, it's no easy task or anything. So thank you for, thank you for taking that on. That's awesome. You're welcome. It was partly, I, I had to learn it too. You know, it's like, it had been, so I even confessed to him, to my son. I'm like, Austin, you know, guess what? I'm like, we're going to learn algebra together because, uh, I cheated through algebra <laughs> one and algebra two when I was in high school, because I just didn't get it. I was not a math person. So it's almost like God was like, uh-huh. See, uh-huh. You cheated, but you didn't get away with it. You had to learn it again. So, well, well, we have another connection because my math stops at like <laughs> algebra. <laughs> oh, I love it. I love it. Uh, thank you so much, Jillian. This has been such a great uh, conversation. I'm, I can't wait to go back and listen to it and reflect on it, but we're, we're not quite done yet. I have one more question for you before we get, before we wrap up. So this is the three-part question that everybody gets to answer. Are you ready? Yeah. Yeah, All right. sure. All right. So Jillian, what are you listening to? What are you reading? And what are you watching? Oh, wow. Okay. So no judgment, right? No judgment at all. <laughs> Anything. This is, this okay. is free range. <laughs> so um, let's see what I'm reading. I am reading Spare, which is the memoir by Prince Harry. Okay. And uh, so actually, and speaking about read aloud, so I have it on audible, but I also have the hard copy. So I actually listen to it on audible as I'm reading it. Cause I'm such a, like, I have to be visually seeing what he's saying. That is a, an absolutely astoundingly, incredibly written book um, and his story and his perspective. Uh, so th I love that. Um, listening, currently listening to Red Rocks Worship which is one of my all-time just favorite, you know, kind of like sit down, chill out, get my heart right um, kind of music. And let's see, what am I watching? Oh, man. Okay. I'm watching a, a show called So Help Me Todd. Um, so it's a series on NBC. It's just a lot of fun. And it's about, you know, a, a guy who is kind of like a black sheep kind of son to his very legal she's a lawyer mom and it's just a lot of fun so I would love to watch shows that just kind of make me feel good that's a feel good show um but I also am a huge I'm a huge reality show fan and I'm gonna confess yes I watch um right now I'm watching The Bachelor all right I'm also <laughs> watching Vanderpump Rules and um, yeah, The Real Housewives, so, and Below Deck. So yeah, those are my like 
if I don't want to think about anything, I just have it on in the background and just kind of like it's my escapism. So I get that. I get that. There's no, (laughs) no judgment. I'm like, you know, everybody's got to find what works for them. Yeah. And like, (laughs) I get what you're saying. Like you, sometimes there are those shows or for me, it's like music. Sometimes it's just music that I can like throw on. And it's just like, it's just background noise for the time being right now, you know, or I need something to clear my mind. So I don't have to think for me, it's music a little more than TV, but but for you, it's The Bachelor, and that's okay. <laughs> no judgment at all. Quite the opposite spectrum. I've got The Bachelor and Red Rocks worship. It's choose between one or the two. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. I love it. This has been such a fun conversation. Thank you so much, Jillian. I appreciate you um, coming on the show. And I'd love for our listeners to find you and all the good things you're doing, the you know the books and just everything that you're doing. So What's the best way for our listeners to find you? Yeah, so I um, am always on Twitter usually or Instagram and on Twitter, it's Jilldubois22. And from there, you can find me on all my social media platforms pretty much uh, that are linked there. And um, my website is impartedjoy.com. Awesome. Awesome. Thank you. Thank you. Listeners, please please go check, uh, please get connected with Jillian. Jillian, I'm so glad that we've been able to connect um, and that we've actually met in person, you know, during Teach Better. That was such a, such a special moment. So this has been a special conversation. I want to thank you again for taking time out of your day to chat with me. Oh, thank you. You're welcome. I'm glad, glad that we can make this happen. Listeners, thank you so much for joining us. Please go check out uh, all of Jillian's work, uh, her books. Please check out her website and connect with her. Um, You won't be disappointed when you do that. Until next time, see you on the next show. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Shut Up and Teach podcast. I hope that you'll check out previous episodes, and I hope that you'll share this with a friend or a colleague.